Real quick, everybody, before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you all know that Mac and I are taking on three new members for the month of February. If you are somebody that wants real change, and I mean real change, then make sure you hit the link in the show notes and apply now. This isn't for everybody. This is a fully immersive experience. Before you even sign up, we sit down with you and go over your goals. And then we put in a plan to make sure you achieve them. Once you sign up, you get all the workouts you need, all the nutrition guidance, and we make sure you have everything in place to hit your daily habits to achieving those goals. So if you want to stop messing around and actually achieve your goals this year, make sure you hit the link in the show notes and apply now. What is up everybody? Welcome back to the In Situ Health and Fitness Podcast. On the Friday show, we wrap the week up with interesting facts, teachable moments, and listener questions. We do all this in the hopes that some of this information hits you in the brain just right so that you go off and use it and live a long and healthy life. So last week I teased a study about aesthetic looks or how to get the best look. And the question was, what gets your body the best body composition? So looking at the best, so low body fat, and high muscle. And the options were cardio or endurance training only, a mix of cardio and resistance, or just resistance. Wow, did we only talk about that last week? Mm. Feels like it was a very long time ago. Do you remember what I voted for? Just resistance, no. Cardio and resistance. I no, don't know no, now. You, you said, you did say resistance training, because it does make sense. So if you're looking like, Bodybuilding is the sport of trying to make your body look the best possible way it gets judged mm. on how it looks and then you win on how, I guess, how good you're looking to a certain extent. That's true. But obviously, I feel like you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. No, that's... So resistance training is right because I wanted to bring this study up because there's a... In the fitness influencer world, or the world I sort of dabble in, I guess you could say, there's a whole thing about going uh, like debunking the myth that cardio is bad for your muscle gains. So this this study did is a it was a meta study of I think about 120 different studies, and it come up with resistance training only is the best way to build muscle and lose body fat or get the best looking body possible. Um, and yes, it is. And then I'm not saying cardio is bad, but in the bodybuilding industry for ever since the Arnie days, it's like cardio, don't do cardio because it ruins your gains. Mm. And, um, like I said, there's a big thing going around now by a lot of big influencers that know what they're talking about saying cardio doesn't ruin your gains to a certain extent. It can actually help you build more muscle to a certain extent. But it's just funny, like this time of the year, everybody just goes for cardio only. Yeah, right. And I, I think people get a lot of mixed, a bit mixed up about what is cardio and what is resistance, because you got F forty five, CrossFit, all the boot camp styled, and although they got weights, and you're lifting weights and moving weights around and doing pull ups and gymnastics and all that sort of stuff, it is still cardio because you're doing it at high intensity. Yeah. And it's different for everybody, 
but say once you get over 30 reps continuously, your body changes over its energy systems and it's technically considered cardio. And again, that's gonna be different for everybody. But yeah, if you're doing, it could be 20 reps for some people. So as soon as you sort of get your heart rate up and your heart rate's pumping, it's your body switches the energy systems and you're pretty much doing cardio instead of uh, anaerobic for muscle building. So your heart rate up to the extent where it's like hard to catch your breath because your heart rate definitely still gets up when you do resistance training. Yeah, definitely. And that, and I was actually having this conversation with a client the other day. She's just started. She's just on, just about to finish her first phase, which is very basic. And she's even saying, so can I do more reps yet? Oh really? Yeah. And I'm like, just, just wait, it's coming. So you slowly build up and this is what I'm saying. So if she was to go straight to the last phase, which is quite high intensity, so you do supersets of legs, that would be considered cardio for her. But because we're gonna build it up over a couple of weeks, a couple of months, sorry, by the time she gets to these supersets and one superset in her program at the end is, let's say back squats and then lunges. So you do a set of heavy uh, back squats for 12 reps into 20 walking lunges with dumbbells. So both challenging movements, combine them together, your heart is going to be pumping. Mm. It's gonna get your heart rate up. And yes, that is gonna borderline on the edge of cardio, um, but she's built up to it. She's yeah. not starting there. And this is where a lot of people get this wrong, especially this time of year. They just jump straight into the high intensity stuff. And wanting to build muscle and change your body composition, build muscle, lose body fat, all that sort of stuff, you need to do the opposite. You need to sort of work up to that. Yeah. Instead of just going straight to the top tier. And obviously when, when we're talking about like running or rowing or consistent cardio, that should be in your schedule, in your program schedule weekly anyway. Um, a lot of people, you know, we walk every single day. Yeah. I'd consider that some some of those walks would be zone two. Yeah. Well, it also depends how sore we are as to how hard the walk feels. But I, I think that, uh, like, people either want to be in one camp or the other camp. You know what I mean? I think that people struggle a lot to, come, like, dabble in both. Like, do a little bit of cardio, a little bit of, yeah, cardio and a little bit of resistance training. But it is so funny to me that, like you said, everyone immediately thinks that they have to do cardio to get in shape at mm. this time of the year. Mm. Like we have seen so many people running when we go on our walk, like our daily path. Um, but yeah, even I sometimes still feel like if I feel not satisfied with the progress that I'm making, I'm like, oh, maybe I need to do more cardio. Yeah. When really I probably just need to eat more damn food, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. People overlook food. And that's the thing about this study. It studied, obviously, people that train well. And most people that train well have their diet dialed in. Mm. Like, they know what they're doing with their food. But a lot of newbies coming into it, or even intermediates, you could say, focus too much on the exercise and what exercise is best. I need to do more high-intensity cardio because that burns more fat which is completely wrong, but how about we look at all the other things? And that's why, yes, this study does say resistance training is best for changing body composition, and yes, it might be, but 
like what other factors are there yeah so many other factors and yeah and also like obviously not everybody listening to this podcast is going for aesthetic goals Mm. and i think that often the people that are going for aesthetic goals don't use cardio in this like for the purpose that it is there for which is to improve your cardiovascular health right yeah like your general health like your heart health like that's yes. that's what cardio is actually doing. It's improving your heart's ability to pump blood, whereas resistance training is improving your muscles' ability to move mass through gravity or whatever. Yeah, and when you do both of them right with the intent of, I want to look after myself, I'm doing this to improve my health and wellness, you get results anyway. Yeah. People f- focus way too much on... I need to do this type of exercise to get this type of results and when image results. Yeah. And when you focus on the fact that you want to do it for your health, I think it's a lot more satisfying one because you're not constantly looking for like physical change. Like you'll still be looking for it, but it's not like every day you're jumping on the scales or taking a progress picture, looking for the change because you're chasing that aesthetic goal. You're just trying to feel good. Mm. And then the byproduct of that is also looking good. Yeah. I, so many of my clients that have come to me looking just to improve their health and go into the each workout or diving into the nutrition just to improve their health and feel better, have more energy, get crazy results. Yeah. I'm actually blown away sometimes of how fast they actually get results because they're just focusing on the health side of things. Yeah. Which is a lot easier to stick to because if you focus on the health side of things, you don't actually want to do like the behaviors like drinking alcohol, eating a lot of junk food, oversleeping or undersleeping, not getting enough movement. You don't want to do that because it's not a part of your end goal. Whereas oh, online, especially like people glorify that you can still do all of that stuff and get an aesthetic goal hmm. if that's what you want. You know what I mean? But in the end, like in the long run, then it's oh. really hard to maintain. Yeah. And yeah, you definitely can party and do all that sort of stuff and get goals, but it's very unhealthy, and as soon as you stop, those goals disappear super quick. Mm. Um, yeah, I just, and again, this study, this topic's just done a full three sixty, and we're gone sort of one eighty, gone from you know what exercise makes you look the best to focus on your health. And I just wanted to bring that study up because when I asked the question of what do you think is gets you the best looking body, everybody's like. Oh, exercise, like worrying about exercise. What I'm trying to say, and this whole conversation wrapping it up, is focus on the things that matter to your health first. And the rest will follow. Um, yeah, because anyway, I'm going to leave it there because I could carry on more and we've got more topics to get through. What is up, everybody? Just jumping in real quick to see if you're enjoying today's episode. I'm sure you are, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of good, useful information out of today's episode. So Mac and I would really appreciate it if you pass this episode on to a friend, family member, anybody who you think would get something out of this episode as well. It would seriously take about 10 seconds to copy and paste this show link and send it over to them. You're going to improve their life and you are going to help us out a lot. Podcasts generally grow from word of mouth. So by sharing this episode just with one person, it will help us reach a bigger audience And that means we can help more people with their health and fitness journey as well. So thank you in advance and let's get back to the show. 
Yes, I have a very interesting, I feel like, offbeat topic for us to talk about, and that is food intolerances. Mm. We probably haven't spoken about a topic like this for ever. I don't even know if we ever have, because it's a little bit out of our realm of expertise, because neither of us are a dietitian, but I have a buttload of first-hand experience with it. So I put a story up on my Instagram on Wednesday saying like having my first banana in over four years and everyone's like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) And so very long story short, probably four years ago when Jack and I met about then, nearly five years ago, I think. Anyway, I had a lot. Do you remember when we met? Do you remember? Yes. (laughs) No. Anyway, I had a lot of, I would say, health issues. Like I had really bad eczema everywhere. Um, I was extremely fatigued all the time. I had gut issues. I was intolerant to like the longest list of foods ever. And it all came down to, in the end, like binge drinking alcohol. That's what caused the whole thing because that ruined, completely ruined my gut bacteria. And I would say just stress because that also has a very negative effect on your gut bacteria. So before I get into what you can do if you think you have an intolerance, because a lot of people actually ask me, I think I'm intolerant to this. How do I know on Wednesday? So to clarify the difference between an intolerance and an allergy first, I think. So Mm -hmm. an intolerance is just an adverse reaction to food that does not involve your immune system. It causes symptoms like gas, bloating, abdominal pain, diarrhea, skin rashes, and headaches. Oh man, I used to also, I constantly (laughs) had a headache. Once we had to buy, this is completely off topic, but once we had to buy Panadol, probably the first time either of us have bought Panadol since we've been together, when I injured myself really badly in the gym. And it was just, it was such like a, wow, I've come really far moment for me because I would buy Panadol like, It was a part of my regular weekly shopping list. I would buy it like I would buy chocolate or bananas or whatever it was because I would go through so much Panadol because I always had a headache because I was eating all these foods and drinking so much alcohol. (sighs) And it was just so, it just was, yeah. Yeah. I forget how much I've changed sometimes. Mm. Anyway, a food allergy, on the other hand, is an adverse reaction to the food that does involve the immune system. So symptoms of a food allergy are generally like hives, swelling, difficulty breathing, abdominal pain, and even anaphylaxis. So that's like usually, you know, the people or the kids that are allergic to peanuts, shellfish, milk, eggs is pretty common, actually. So that's the difference. Intolerance doesn't involve the immune system. And I think a lot of people don't realize that food actually affects their immune system. Of course. Like, it blows my mind that people will get sick, their immunity drops, or they're having some sort of immunity reaction and don't realize that it is the food that they're eating. And it's very hard sometimes to convince people that it could be just a banana. Like you're eating a banana and it's making you feel shit. Yeah. And people, no, no, it's just a banana. Well, yeah, it's just a banana, but like... Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. So much that goes into it. On the, like on the topic of bananas, exactly. Who would think that a banana would be something that would you would be intolerant to? I think everyone just always thinks dairy and gluten, you know? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the time people cut out dairy and gluten, having no idea whether it affects them or not, 
and then just not eat any of those things at all when actually it could be something like literally a banana or a capsicum. So I've got a list of the foods just so people can sort of maybe become aware. Um, like when you eat these foods, how do they make you feel? Because there is a massive disconnect between food and how it makes us feel. And if there was a connection there, then a lot of people wouldn't eat as much processed and junk food mm. as they do, right? So firstly is fermented foods like fish, seafood, fermented dairy products, cured meat, cured meats. Mm -hmm. So like salami, sausages, prosciutto, is yep. that a cured meat? Yep. Um, alcohol, in particular red wine, beer and champagne, tomatoes, eggplant, spinach, avocados. So they are all high in histamines, which is what is like the most common thing that people are can become intolerant to. Mm. And then the foods that cause a release of histamine, so these foods aren't necessarily high in histamine, but they can cause your body to release it, are strawberries, pineapples, papaya, kiwi, some nuts and seeds, chocolate, food additives. There is a bucket list of the food additives. I'm not even gonna read them because it's all just gibberish. Just food additives, okay, everybody? And some spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, and chili powder. So I'm pretty sure I became intolerant to almost every histamine-containing food at one point, and also dairy. So the list of food that I couldn't eat was enormous. Yeah, well, I used to pop um, Clarentine like you popped. Panadol. Panadol. So, because I just suffered from hay fever so much. And again, I did not realize that food affects hay fever. Yeah. Because all those food, first lists of food that you mentioned do cause or can cause some sort of hay fever reaction. And I'm just, oh, it's just the air today. It's just the wind. Yeah. You can't it, be the air and the wind every single day. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out, because I can't remember, like... I have had um, like hay fever allergies here and there, but it's only like I can tell that it's the weather rather than food. Yeah, there's a big, actually a big difference. Yeah, and like, when I started cutting out all that sort of stuff and understanding, like some of those foods I still eat and I'm fine with, but some of them I know cause hay fever for me. Yeah, and it's funny how, like how could I not eat all of those foods back then, but I dabble in all of those foods now and... I think I'll give a little bit of a background of where intolerances come from first and then it'll help you understand how maybe you can take the same path that I took, right? So generally we develop intolerances when we can't digest a certain food or compound in a food properly or like you could just inherit it like because it's a lot to do with um, like the enzymes in your body and your gut that have the ability to break it down. So you could inherit it from your parents you could alter like your gut bacteria or the enzymes in your gut by like what I said, stress, lack of sleep, binge drinking, processed foods. Um, I think that's all of the, the like the big ones. Um, I forgot I forgot what I was saying. Oh, what causes it? But then another thing that I found that causes it is overexposure to all of those foods, which I think is probably the most common. Do you think that that's what? you experience like overexposure yeah 100 percent. so like if you are having 
I don't know, four milk coffees a day, cheese in your sandwich, creamy pasta for dinner, which is literally what my diet was like, you probably yogurt and something for breakfast, then that is like a lot of dairy. So of course, eventually your stomach is going to be like, okay, I don't want this anymore. Let's create an adverse reaction to it so that the human stops eating it, which often we don't register you, well, you, <laughs> or realise. Or you go to a chemist or you get a cream to cover it up yeah. and you continue eating that stuff. Yeah. Or like in my case, I kept popping Clarentine. Yeah. Hay fever tablets to stop that. So, and how do you like once, I guess, it's, it's very hard. Like it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was completely like 180 my diet because all the things I was intolerant to were all the things I was eating every single day. <laughs> That's why I became intolerant to them, right? Because I was eating them so much. So I literally had to flip my diet upside down and eat the opposite foods, which is very, like everyone knows, it's very hard to change your diet because it's a massive part of your life. So I went to like a dietitian, a gastro, gastro a gut doctor, <laughs> an allergy doctor, um, a naturopath, a local doctor. I went to so, so many different people, had so many tests like... I had a skin prick test where they put the allergens on your skin and see what flares up. I had blood tests, stool tests, everything, everything mm. you can think of. And like, because it wasn't a severe, I guess, one, I had to have the food in my system for it to show up in most of the tests. And because I was trying to eliminate it so I didn't get a rash or my tongue didn't swell up or I didn't feel sick or need to go to the toilet, every time I went for the test, they couldn't find specific things that I was intolerant to. So anyway, in the, in the long run, I ended up just doing a basic elimination diet and kept a food journal. And they are definitely the two things that helped me solve all of my problems so a food journal i literally just wrote down everything that i ate the time it, that i ate how i was feeling like was i stressed did i have to rush it was i at work and how i felt after i ate like did it make me bloated did it give me gas did i get a headache did i get a rash two days later like everything i could possibly write down and i carried this food journal with me everywhere and wrote everything down and then eventually much to my disgust i just found the foods that were messing me up <laughs> from the inside out and then I would pick one and eliminate that for a week and if my symptoms went away I, I would leave it out and then eliminate another one and then if my symptoms lessened even more I would leave it out and then I just kept doing that for a while until my diet was pretty much like certain vegetables not many rice and meat and that's pretty much what our diet is now still we have a lot of sprouts and Oh, vegetables, yeah, I like guess, um, salad, vegetables, fruit. But, and then I slowly started picking one thing and adding it back in. But, like, probably not for three years, mm. to be honest. Because you can't just expect to eliminate something and two weeks later you can start eating it again. Because it takes a long time for, like, your gut bacteria to turn over and be healthy again. Yeah, and, like, you say you can introduce it again, like... When Mac cut out dairy, she cut out dairy altogether. And yes, she has started eating dairy again, but it's only been little tiny bits at a time. Mm. Little bits. And even sometimes, you know, 
like you know it's gone you've gone too far and you have to back off like it's not that dairy is bad or anything it's great for you it's just you need to let your microbiome in your gut adapt back to it and build back up to it and it's not going to be able to do that if you're like oh sweet um i'm introducing dairy again i'm going to have a milkshake cheese sandwich yeah. this that part part like creamy pasta all that sort of stuff like just a little bit of a time um can't stress that enough as yeah well. and even if i have like a few foods so like the foods that i was intolerant to were like dairy capsicum spinach oranges sometimes mangoes bananas mm. so when i cut all of those out if i have like a little bit of cheese and then one one time we were at jack's sister's birthday and i hadn't had dairy forever like i had it occasionally if we went to someone's house for dinner and they had it in their food but we went to a winery and I had like literally a glass of wine, but I'd had some of the cheese platter as well and some of the fruit that I don't normally eat. And all three of those things, like my lips started getting tingly. I started getting itchy. I had a really bad headache. And it was just because I was like, oh, just a little bit's okay. Just a little bit's okay. But the combination of all of them, my body was like, this is not okay. Mm. <laughs> this is too much. Mm. Um, but I think that cutting out alcohol probably helped my ability to eat the other foods. Like... Because I drink well, basically nothing now, I can eat the foods that I was intolerant to more often. Whereas if I was still drinking alcohol, I think that I would struggle to like, process those foods well and I would end up with hives and everything again. Yeah. Um, we have one client and he'll know who, who we're talking about when he's listening because I know he's going to be listening. And every time he has alcohol or a big night or anything like that, a couple of days later he ends up with some sort of reaction mm. and it's just, it's just a cycle that you just need to break and go off alcohol for a long time. And cause it can take up six months for your gut, even longer. Yeah. Even longer for your gut bacteria to populate right, I guess you'd say. Um, and alcohol, just every time you add it in, it just, you just going back 10 steps mm -hmm. and yeah, it, 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 it does suck to see sometimes. And look, again, a little bit here and there is fine. But when you're having, you know, a big night once every month or two big nights every month, it's just taking you back so many steps. And then, you know, it can be quite disheartening. So then you just give up altogether. And just go with, just go with eating and drinking, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, oh, I had a really good thought about alcohol and it's just left my mind. <laughs> anyway. To sum all of this up, because I feel like I just gave a lot of information. If you think that you have a food intolerance, obviously you can go and see like a dietitian and get like skin prick tests and blood tests and what was the other one? Stool tests and everything. But you can also do stuff yourself because I will say all of those, all of that testing is extremely expensive. Mm. And I mean, why not try and just keep a food journal yourself first? And because a lot of the time, if they're testing specifically for a dairy intolerance, that's all they're going to test for is the dairy intolerance. And it might not actually be what you're intolerant to. So just keep a food journal, keep it extremely detailed as possible. And I think a food journal is even powerful, not just for intolerances, but just foods that agree with you and don't agree with you in general. Mm. Like if you're keeping a food journal and you don't have any like severe adverse reactions, but like you feel sluggish when you have a sandwich for lunch or 
you get a little bit snotty when you have creamy pasta for dinner or whatever just write that down and then you know like the foods that make you feel great and give you energy and the foods that make you feel like crap and don't give you energy <laughs> i think that that's really good to know as well mm. anything else you wanted to add to that um no i we could probably do a whole topic on that maybe later down the track again yeah there's a lot i could talk about i should do you think i should share i've still got the photos of all of my rashes and stuff should i share them on socials because everyone will be like <gasps> yeah maybe and yeah again that's another thing people just don't realize that skin rashes come from food as well as soon as i have any kind of physical problem like as soon as i have a headache or I used to get very bad blisters on my fingers. As soon as I see one blister or like there's, I know so many signs that my body gives me now. I'm like, oh, I've overdone it somewhere. You know mm. what I mean? Like, and I can pick up on it early and avoid actually making myself physically ill. Yeah. Uh, eczema was a big one of mine. Um, how food caused, caused me to have eczema yeah. in all the sweaty parts, pits of my body. <laughs> very uncomfortable and those people that have had eczema before will know that's very uncomfortable all i'd say is look at your diet mm. Mm. whoa okay what do we got what else you got today that's it oh listen to questions wait 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 before we do listen to questions i have a very interesting analogy it's short i promise <laughs> that i found this week um on the tim ferris podcast and it was if you are walking down the street right and your dog does not get along with other dogs very well it's likely that you're going to cross the street right to get away from an oncoming dog that's common right we do that every day because the sausages are savages but it's funny how we don't do similar behaviors in our own favor so we would move across the street to prevent our dog from growling or barking or feeling uncomfortable around another dog but we won't not buy chips or not buy chocolate or not go to the part of town where McDonald's is so we can smell it and go through it. Mm. You know, isn't that funny how we don't treat ourselves the same way that like we treat our dog when it becomes to behaviors. If you like can't control yourself around chips, just don't buy them. Oh, you could use that analogy. I've seen people treat their cars better than their own body. That's true. Yeah, that's I, very true. It blows my mind how many how much money people spend on their car each and every week but won't spend it on you know buying a little bit healthier food or going to the gym yeah right. just yeah. if you can just avoid the, the like the negative scenario yeah it makes your life a lot easier mm. yeah. anyway Great. Cool. okay listen now we can move on to listener questions uh the first one is can i lose weight by changing my diet only uh yeah 100 percent. yeah i'd yeah. say yes too um pretty simple just um it's hard because i don't know the backstory but yeah cut out processed foods um eat whole foods that should change things and then calorie count from there yeah and then i think like calorie counting will just teach you so much anyway like we always say on this um and then obviously when you because like you can only go so far with your diet right mm. so like once you have like cut out all of the crap you're eating a balanced diet maybe you calorie counted and then you feel like you've plateaued definitely exercise yeah did we talk about that in last week's show that people rely on exercise too much for weight loss when they don't even look at their diet yeah probably. if you're if you want to lose weight look at your diet before you look at it, any type of exercise yeah it'll give you the most progress right yep okay this is a weird one but i think you'll like it 
I put this question into chat GTP and I got the answer. You give your answer first and I'll give my Actually, I can't. I know, the, I know the answer. But what is the king of all exercises? What do you think the answer is? The king of all exercises? Yeah. I did a post on exercises, on three exercises I think you should do every single day during the week. So for those listening on Instagram, at Jack L. Graham, you can find that. But it's not going to be one of those exercises because they're different. Um, deadlift? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously chat GTP got their answer from taking all of the information on the World Wide Web and what is the most popular. So I guess that is the world's opinion of what is the king of exercises. Yeah. So agree and disagree so i did a post like i said early in the week with three exercises first one was first one was um oh toe touch the squat oh yeah so where you hold on literally holding onto your toes you come down in the squat and you pull yourself into the squat and then come up into a hamstring curl and you're just doing that Uh, the second was a windmill which is you have to see it to to explain it and the second was a reverse third was a bridge so all those movements move your body in ways that you don't normally move your body. Um, so a deadlift is good. It's great. It's going to work every single muscle in your body. It attacks your nervous system, which is good for overloading and building strength. Like I said, it'll get every single muscle in your body. But it is moving in a plane that you move in every day. So a deadlift is literally just picking something up in a controlled form. And you can load it up to a certain weight that challenges your body but you're constantly bending down in that way every single like every basically every time you pick something up so the other three that i mentioned in this social post are three things three directions that you don't normally move in which is really good to do and healthy for your body because like i've spoken about in previous podcasts when you do the same motion like running if you're running every single day and all you do is run you'll get really good at running but weak with everything else because you're not moving in different planes of motion Mm. so yes it's a great exercise but with a little asterisk (laughs) i think yeah and i think like maybe it is the king of all exercises but in what context i guess like Mm. why Mm. like who for but i don't i don't think i would rate it like i get that it's a compound exercise so it uses multiple muscles right multiple joints but i don't avoid them but i don't love doing deadlifts especially when i've been sitting down Mm. all day because it just yeah that but that's exactly yeah because i'm in that like shape you know what i mean and it just feels like i've been in that shape relaxed all day and then to go into the gym and do a deadlift and load it up and load it up is kind of yeah even and i'm even semi-experienced lifter and I still sometimes just lose the connection and like tweak my back or whatever so yeah circumstantial exactly Exactly. cool that's it Mm -hmm. oh that's it for questions yep oh awesome uh thanks again everybody if you do have any questions as always you can hit us up on social media Mac and I are always putting up question boxes most of the times Uh, so you can put in your questions there and we answer them on the show um, or you can just direct messages on social media as well. You'll find me at jack.lgraham and at mac underscore in situ. Uh, hit us up there with your questions. 
As always, if you got something out of this episode, which I'm sure everybody did, I feel like I rambled on at the start, but Mac brought it home with the food allergies, which was a good save. Um, obviously, everybody's going to affected by food allergies, so please share this episode with one other person. Intolerances. Intolerances, <laughs> my bad. Um, share it with one other person. Could be a friend, family member, brother, sister, cousin next door neighbor anybody share this episode with one person because it does help us out a lot uh we've got some pretty big things coming up which i think we can talk about next week fingers crossed and we'll fill you all in then and we'll talk to you in the next episode bye